Night King is coming. The dead are already here. Game of Thrones. Oh my god. There's dragons. Watch it. You see them. There's this fight scene. Winter is coming. Winter is coming. Watch your What's his name? It's like chicken. Mr. Kari's name. And, uh, he lost his hair. Fucking red. Cannot give you back your homes or restore your dead to life, but perhaps I can give you justice in the name of our king. Dracaris. Welcome to the Coffee Clatch Crew Game of Thrones episode review. I'm Jason Pistorino. I'm Christina Lomangino. The night is dark and full of terror, but Christina and myself are on dragons to shed some light on this week's Game of Thrones. Episode 3, The Long Night. The long-awaited episode. Written by Benioff and Weiss and directed by Miguel Sapochnik, director of some of our best battle episodes, including Hard Home and Battle of the Bastards. One of our favorites, and he was not in last season, season seven. Currently, IMDb is giving this a 9.5 and Rotten Tomatoes a 78%. That's a big dichotomy. It is. And we're going to talk about that. I think it's probably representational. Game of Thrones has one of the biggest audiences anywhere. Fans who are so dedicated that have been reading the books for, well, a really long time and watching the show for eight seasons now, full of speculations and theories, trying to dissect the lore. And I think depending on your standpoint and what you were looking for out of this episode affects your reactions to it. I know some people really, really loved it. Some people were really disappointed by it. I have a lot of conflicting feelings that we'll get into in this episode. There were parts of it that I truly loved as a whole. I thought the episode was exciting. But there were also some things I was really hoping to see that I didn't and some areas I was less than thrilled about. I'm right with you with those feelings, especially as time goes by and we're able to digest what we just saw. As a whole, the entire night, the journey we were put on, I've never felt this way before watching TV, and I will never feel this way again. So in those regards, the setup of this episode, the years that we've been watching, I was literally stressed out, jittery, pacing around the room, checking Twitter as I was dinging along, not able to pay attention to Chris speaking. She kept trying to talk to me about smart stuff. I was like, yeah, 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 it's about to come on. I had a visceral feeling in my body. Halfway through the episode, I had to ask Christina to pause. I had to stand up. My back was hurting Take from a deep breath. being so tense. I had to go to the bathroom, put water on my face, come back down, put the computer back on my lap to take notes and said, okay, go. And you thought you were going to be crying the whole time. Yes, I did think I was going to be crying, but instead it turned into angst, like I was about to fight. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there were so many things about this episode I truly enjoyed, and we will get into that. And of course, just like you, Christina, especially when we talked it out, there were so many things I thought they dropped the ball on or they forgot about or felt like, you know what, leave it for the book readers later on. The books will take care of this. One thing I want to say off the top, I am floored by the amount of notifications we had during this episode via Twitter, Facebook. During the episode, ding, 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 we had over 300 something notifications. And then I had to turn my phone off after the episode because I was trying to go to sleep and it just kept going. I I loved it. I had an 8 a.m. appointment this morning and I was trying so hard to get back to some of the Twitter replies and write everything down. So much so, this is what we decided to do for this episode. 
We really want to make sure that we represent all thoughts and feelings on this and try to be fair to it as we do with all shows. We'll give you some of the critics' opinions. We'll break down Jason and my positive and negative feelings or pros and cons. We'll go through our poll results from prior to the episode of which character we most wanted to save who was in danger. Honor our deaths, give our fun facts, and talk about our crow's eye view for the plot. However, we are going to separate out into a second episode. The MVB, the most valuable bannerman, your poll results, your responses, the Clatcher's comments, the deeper look to analyze some point of theme or lore from the episode, and the spoiler section for sneak peek through the heart tree. That will all be coming at you later this week. Now, I've had a chance to peruse some of the comments, and a lot of them have the same feelings we do. So if you hear something very similar, you know that we read it and we agree with you. Right. It's going to be impossible to read all of the ones that talk about the positives and all of the ones that talk about the negatives, but we tried to roll it all in and combine it. And we're going to give you both. So I totally understand if you're on the side of the fence that you thought this was the best episode on television, you're probably going to get a little upset with us when we bring up the cons. But for those people who felt things were lacking, we want to dive a little deeper into that. What are some things we maybe wanted to see more of? What are the areas from the books that weren't pulled in enough? Let's start out with a critic review from the New York Times that I thought summed up the positives really well. They said the final clash was a masterpiece of tension and release, goosebumps and heartbreak, grandiosity and intimacy. It deftly mixed genres, shots and planes of action as it shifted from the chaos of the fighting in and around Winterfell to the claustrophobic terror of the crypts, to the dragon fight, in the winter sky. I want to add to that what you said about the tone that was created. I didn't count how many minutes, but a lot of our opening scenes were comprised of almost total silence. You had no main character speaking, just some things that you could hear in the background. People shouting, battle preparations, these somber looks on everyone's faces, creating this anxiety and tension. It just kept us in suspense and even heightened it. I was having issues because I wanted to be in the moment, but also I was having so many thoughts that I wanted to put on Twitter and Facebook. <laughs> and I was like, no, be in the moment, be in the moment. We should have set up a camera just watching us freaking out the whole time. But as you're talking about the suspense in the beginning, I have to tell the Clatchers that you must watch, once again, The Game Revealed on HBO.com. It's 40 minutes, but it tells you so much. One of which is that they knew this episode was going to be difficult. How do you do a full war that pays off in the end, but isn't too boring. They know that viewers, after maybe 10 minutes of all-out fighting, kind of grow numb to it and could get bored. So what they decided to do was follow certain characters throughout it to tell the story, but also separate it into three acts. Act one being what you were just talking about, suspense, the silence of everything, just seeing them set up, the masses, the amount of people, and the fact that you hear and feel the monsters, but you don't see them. Then act two, as Arya goes down into the castle, into these tight tunnels, is the horror section of this. Some people who didn't really dig it, they were comparing it to Jurassic World 2. I wouldn't go that far. I think it was way better than that. that was kind of silly, but I did hear the point that the Whites changed form from anything we had seen prior to that when Arya was inside. They became a little more zombie-like, a little more walking dead. What's been so terrifying about the reanimated dead in the past in this show is that they're fast. Mm. They have one mindset. They are moving in to kill and they're pretty mindless. They're just going after the living. We don't know how they hunt, if this is part of their brainwashing that they're all in control by the Night King. 
but we've never seen them move slowly, shamble around the insides of a structure, smelling blood the way they do in zombie movies, listening to the trickle of it hit the floor. It felt like watching a different movie for a moment, and I don't know that that was necessarily bad, but as another thing that perhaps goes against the lore we were used to, I think Mm. it was jarring. Yeah, there was a few things they did purposefully. They said, quote unquote, broke the laws of Game of Thrones for this episode. Well, that was done for a few reasons. One, though, I would argue we have seen these whites act this way. When they're marching mindlessly, that's how they're marching. One foot in front of the other, just until... Waiting for orders. Yeah, until the orders are given. But also they did this purposefully to let the viewers breathe a little bit. It has been nonstop for, I don't know, at that point, maybe 25 minutes, just craziness. Mm -hmm. Your eyes trying to adjust to all of this action in such darkness, which we heard you guys about the TV. We had the same issues. We're going to talk about the darkness in a minute. So in a way, it was to give us a reprieve, let us breathe for a second, and slowly build up a different kind of tension now. It's Arya, scared for the first time in a long time. But also Arya being quintessential Arya. Using her strengths, her quietness, her stealth, everything that she's learned throughout years and years of training. At moments, her actual sword fighting, staff fighting, whatever you want to call Mm -hmm. it. Taking down whites, giving us some wins. And I must say, I guess I was wrong because I thought maybe that was a a red herring in the to-be-seen-this-season trailers. I just didn't see how they would end up being in that section. Well, now we know how. And I thought we might get here, but I mistook that. I really believed... It was going to be that she was luring a white walker in. Yeah, to take their face. And that she was going to be able to take their face because that was one of her skills. And I understand Benioff and Weiss saying, over time, the things she learned at the House of Black and White and those skills made her seem like she was on another level where they were bringing her back to her more stark essence. Okay. And the sword fighting she learned from Cereo Pharrell, the things before that. But the House of Black and White storyline was dropped a little bit. We did get to see her use the face to kill the phrase, and that was wonderful. But I thought it would pay off in a bigger way here, and that that's how she would be able to sneak in close to the Night King later on when they're in the Godswood. The circle of White Walkers is standing behind. And I did have a moment where the Night King looked back at one of his lieutenants, and I said, oh my God, that's Arya in disguise. I know people saying our expectations were too high because we got carried away with our theories, But most of the things I was disappointed in aren't just wild and crazy speculation. They were built off of years of the show and the TV telling us these things are going to be important later. And that seemed like a skill that in the final battle, Arya could definitely use. So I wanted to remind the Clatchers, when we say White Walkers, we're talking about the main people with the rock and roll hair. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And the Whites are just the regular zombies. So we thought for sure she was luring in one of the White Walkers. Mm Mm-hmm. So let's talk about Act 3 briefly until we get into the plot. That's their action movie. And I think that that coincides. That's definitely the action part. And that is another one where they were allowed to break the rules, the Game of Thrones rules, and make it more slow motion, blockbuster type action. Throughout all of those things, I thought another major pro was, as ever, the scoring by Ramin Jawadi, setting up each act, creating that tone, adding to the feelings that we were getting whenever we had a win, and they did give us some of those throughout the episode to give us some hope. There was that uplifting music, the scoring in the background Mm. of Danny just torching whites on the dragon. 
There was also the moment towards the end with Bran and Theon in the Godswood where it started changing. It was a take on the score I had never heard before. It was almost uplifting in a way. And I said, what is going on here? What's about to happen? Because this seems like the end. Theon just died. Now Bran is about to die. He's walking up for a showdown. Am I missing something? So this always really adds to our episodes. I also loved some of the human emotional moments we got. Tying in the Hound's long history of his fear of fire. At one point, he is just huddled in the corner. He can't go on anymore. But he's spurred to action in order to save Arya. The completion of Melisandre's story arc. Jorah dying to save the woman he loves and believes in. Theon's full redemption. I will get more into it, but some of the best moments of this episode were with Theon. Conversely, some of the cons. One of the biggest ones I've heard circulating around and I agree with was the overall darkness of the episode. Sometimes this was used to great effect to heighten the sense of actually being in the middle of a battle, being confused and disoriented, not knowing what's going on. And especially in the beginning when our first lines charge out and literally it almost fades to darkness as the flaming Iraqs go out, then the undead start to swarm in in hordes. You have no idea who's fighting who, who's dying, what's going on. And it was perfect for that first and into the second act. But then there were times where I felt like I'm supposed to be seeing these things clear and I can't. It's not really to create a tone or a mood. It's that I really can't tell what's going on in that moment and I don't think that's on purpose. So for instance, by the end, I was getting very frustrated because I had thought Arya gave Sansa her Valyrian steel dagger. I couldn't make it out enough to see that she just gave her a dragonglass dagger. And so nothing was adding up for me about the final scene. At times, I had no idea which dragon was fighting who. I didn't know which character we were seeing on scene. So I think there were spots, maybe, where they could have used a little interchange the way they did at the Battle of the Wall, where parts of it got brighter and you could see more clearly. The dagger portion, I thought the same way until I saw Sansa take it out in the crypts. And then I realized, because we saw a close-up there, and yes, it was dark, but I realized that was dragonglass. The dragons, we had to rewind a few times. I was like, what just happened? Who, which dragon just died? We saw the Night King was pushed off, but we couldn't see whose dragon was on top of who. Every scene in the middle of the storm. Danny? Oh, Danny's now in it. And it just, felt yeah. like a cloud cover-up. Like, I didn't know what was going on. And about the dagger, thank you to our Clatchers. I didn't even notice in the close-up shot. So I had to ask our Clatchers, and they very kindly told me what was happening there. Yeah, when I read you asking that, I was like, damn it, you should have asked me first. <laughs> So they wouldn't have thought we were dumb. We don't know everything. <laughs> That's the point of this podcast, right? Um, the other thing was there were times, and again, due to the disorientation, I get it, but characters just seem to disappear for long stretches. Would that happen in the reality of battle? Yes, probably. But I couldn't understand there were long times where, where were the dragons? Where was this person? How did... Jorah ride out in the front lines at the very beginning when everyone got overtaken, and then he just showed back up. Where did he come from? There were also several times when a lot of our characters seemed to be in mortal peril. I literally thought they were dying on screen in front of me several times over. Sam, Jorah appeared to die about four times, and they kept coming back. Brienne. Don't get me wrong. I did not want to see the majority of our characters die. I am glad that they didn't take most of them from us. But by playing that card over and over again with the same character, it was decreasing my intensity level. By the time I figured out they survived, I was like, oh, 
okay, I I don't know how to feel about that anymore. I think there's a few things going on there. And I think you're right in your complaints. And I actually kind of agree with you. I wish it was a little brighter. I think also what we were going through was fatigue. We were exhausted by the time we found out who was alive. My nerves were shot. I needed to go to sleep. I was done. And I think they knew that was going to happen. So that that's one of the issues. Two, the darkness, I was concerned at first because I thought maybe it was our TV. We have an LCD and the newer TVs are OLED. LCDs are pixels. It's a very good TV, very high quality, but they're pixels that need to be lit from behind. So you never get true black. So in order for color to get through the pixels, for our eyes to pick up, there's a light behind it that pushes through. If you have a pixel that's black at the moment because it's dark out, light has to go through so that we can see it. So it's actually grayish. It's never true black. So then when you have different tones of black, our eye just melds it into one big gray mesh. Mm -hmm. So we turned off the lights. I thought maybe it was dirty. Tried to wipe (laughs) off the TV. I saw some clips from people that filmed their TV. One was definitely an OLED. It looked a little brighter, but again, it's a video of a video. Um, But just seeing how many Clatchers were having that issue, I don't think it was just us. No, it wasn't. And they even said this was partly creative intent going in. And like I say, it makes sense in some portions, just like the keeping us in suspense about what characters are living and dying makes sense. But there has to be some logic that that follows. Would most of these main characters, after seeming to die time and time and time again, would all of them really make it through by the end? And I know we did lose some. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But I wonder about maybe stretching out that part in the middle where we were getting some wins and giving us hope, not having those characters repeatedly almost die, and then shifting it to the real peril of the end and not quite knowing who's living and who's dying. But all of that is not my biggest complaint. My biggest complaint is about some of this lore that didn't come to play. We never get an answer to what the Night King was really after. So did he have no greater purpose than just he was created as an evil force to help fight the first takeover of humans by the children that got out of their control and he wanted nothing more than killing? His servants, his priest class, the other white walkers, the sacrifices they were making, the rituals we saw with the children they were taking from Craster, did none of that ever really mean anything. This was just a long night and a bad force that we had to stop. What is the real Three-Eyed Raven's connection to that? Did the weirwood trees not really mean anything? Because Bran's out there, standing by this tree that seems to be all important. We don't see a lot of what was really happening with Bran the whole episode. Yes, he is warging and we see him through the raven's eye, but it's all still very cryptic and mysterious. And more than that, is there really no prince that was promised? The one prophesied to defeat the Night King was supposed to be the living embodiment of ice and fire. No, that's not just fan theory or speculation. That literally comes from the books and things that we've kind of been fed throughout this series. And so, yeah, that would make it kind of obvious if it was John or Danny. And I like the idea of a surprise twist. I love Arya getting a heroic moment. Everybody loves Arya. But I don't know that it completely fits in with everything that we've heard up until this point. As far as the Night King is concerned, we were starting to worry the last episode when they started to kind of unfold that. We were hoping that conversation that Bran had with Tyrion. Remember, we were thinking, oh, maybe they spread that in. That way it's not all about fighting and we can learn more. What's Bran's intentions? What are his skills? What has he been doing besides just sitting there? (laughs) When we kept saying, well, he's doing something we just don't know. You know, he's above us. Yeah. <laughs> it looks like to us he's just sitting there. Didn't get that answer. 
it does seem to me in the TV version that it is just the big bad. In fairness to them on this point, Bran did survive this interaction. Sam survived this interaction. So that could be something that we're still going to get more of in the last three episodes. I'm not discounting that. Whereas the prince that was promised thing, now that the White Walkers and the Night King are defeated, that does seem to be closing the book, so to speak, on that. Azor High. Correct. Yeah, I'm really concerned about that. And it looks like G. Martin, that's my new name for him, is going to get my money because I'm going to want to buy these books when they come out. I want to see what his idea of it was. Oh, and don't he know it. Yep. Come on. That's what we were predicting. I also want to bring something up. I saw some comments of people who were upset because it was all of this, the battle that means anything. This is it. What Melisandre has been talking about, and it's over in one episode. I understand what they're saying, why they're feeling that way, but we have been saying this since last year, once we found out that the third episode was going to be this battle, is that that's it. That's the end of the Night King, because after all, it is called Game of Thrones, and the actual importance in this storyline is just that, the Game of Thrones. So the last three episodes, and next episode's the longest one, is going to be about that. I have to slightly disagree with you there. I do believe that it is super important that we get to see that look at what happened with the Game of Thrones, what about the politics, Cersei and King's Landing, and all of that tension built up, the revealing of Jon's identity as a secret Targaryen and how it affects his relationship with Danny. Is she really going to break the wheel? Are we going to start a new world and change things? But there were always two sides to this story, and that's why it drew such a big fandom. There are people that don't really like the high fantasy stuff, and they were here for that half of things that you're discussing. I like the people in rooms talking. I like the politics. I like the intrigue. It can't be denied that there also was just as big of a fantasy element. It was a slow burn, but it was brought to us in episode one, season one. Despite all your politicking and your playing around here, there is a bigger issue, one that we've forgotten about but has been omnipresent for thousands and thousands of years. There have been long nights. The Night King has come. There have been millions of deaths. This is why we built the wall. We have the Night's Watch. This is a huge threat to all of humanity. So we have to really tell that story too. And it does seem fair to have the season split half and half. I don't mind that in one long episode we cover the battle if I feel that I got the answers to those questions that I was looking for. But here it feels like we have to wrap it up so we can get to the big point of what's lying in King's Landing. So you would have rather had this battle be two episodes? No, not the battle itself. I agree that winning the majority of it here is a good move. Some of the storyline and the mystery and the things we want to know, I think maybe could have carried over closer to the end. Is this really it forever? We know there's been times where we thought we defeated the Night King and people forgot and it went back to being good. And I thought part of the purpose of the Three-Eyed Raven was to preserve history, was to make sure that we remember these things. And we don't let our guard down again so much in Mm. the future. Remember that it's real. And again, maybe we could still get some of that. Who knows? But we're going to continue to break this down as we go through the episode. I want to break here to talk about something fun. And that's the poll we put up prior to the episode. This was fun. It was a great idea to do this. We assembled our clatchers. This was who to save. Now, because Twitter can only give us four options, we didn't include any of the main, main characters. We were hoping, thinking that they would make it out of there. John, Danny, Arya, Tyrion, all of our big people. 
thankfully they did. So we chose some of the secondary characters, if you want to say that, and I don't mean they're not important. They are dearly beloved to us. They seem to be in real danger hmm. coming out of last episode. So we asked if you could save only one of them, who would you choose? Our options were Jorah, Tormund, Davos, and Brienne. And last place was Jorah, which I can, before this episode, for sure. Because I think we forgot. (laughs) I think we forgot how much he's done, or it wasn't, you know, as big a deal at this point. As fresh in our minds. Yeah. Then third place was Davos at 15%. Also hasn't had too many big moments recently, although two of my all-time faves from this series. 24% Tormund. I thought for sure that's the one people would really want to save just because he's the only funny portions we really get. And they really endeared endeared him to us last episode. And 48% for first place was Brienne. We've been through some shit with her. Mm -hmm. A lot of people thinking that she was just knighted. She just earned it. We don't want her to die now. My thoughts were the opposite. She just got everything she wanted. Now Game of Thrones will take her out. And I think the Clatchers agreed with you that she was most in danger because her story arc seemed complete, so they had to save her. Well, it worked, guys. Congratulations. (laughs) Yeah, you were right. Brienne was saved. Actually, in this list, Jorah passed away. Your watch has ended. Tormund is still alive. Davos is still alive. And Brienne's still alive. And thank you for the comments. I love these. I love how we can see why people are choosing this. Split between Tormund, he always makes me laugh, and Brienne, she always inspires. I really want both to survive because I still want that ship to sail. Ooh, who knows now with Jamie making it through too. But speaking of, we have to get to another major section, and that is our deaths for the episode. We're going to first go through who we definitively lost, and then we'll list the questionable characters. We will not include any non-humans here. That will be a topic we're getting to in our episode two. So if you're looking to hear about your dragons or your direwolf, we will be covering it later this week. Death number one was Dolorous Ed. The most recent and perhaps the last Lord Commander of the Night's Watch. Should I refrain from my comments till the plot? No, if it's about his death, we can definitely talk about it here. That one was upsetting because it wasn't earned. It was Sam's fault that he died and... Sam knew he didn't belong out there. We knew he didn't belong out there. He was helping him up, and that's how he dies. So I was upset about that one. Another frustrating moment for me because I really wanted to see either Sam be smart and listen to that and go down into the crypts and have a role to play there or else find some of his heroism. And it kind of reverted back to season one Sam. And it caused somebody like Ed to get killed, and I was disappointed. I agree with you. I was upset that he was out there, but we have to remember, he is still season one Sam when it comes to fighting physically. It's not like he was training like Arya. He was training his brain, not his body. And these were actually the scenes that I spoke about, I think in The Prepper, or maybe episode one, where John Bradley was told by the director, you know, you got to chill, you're being too good, Mm -hmm. be more brand-like. And John actually tells us the reason Sam is here is to show how normal people would cope. So they needed that dichotomy for us. Um, So story-wise, writing-wise, I understand it a little more, but I was still pissed off he was out there. I think it sets back his character arc, though, that we've worked so long to achieve. Whereas the true completion of their character arc, death number two, Lady Lyanna Mormont. The Lady of Bear Island, along with Jorah's death later in the episode, perhaps the end of the Mormonts? And she goes out in grand fashion, defeating one of the greatest foes in the battle. We got a little bit of heat that uh, we didn't put her on our MVB. 
I would have so loved to list all of these characters that we really loved or the ones we lost. She's definitely going to get an honorable mention. I really enjoy that the writers and directors decided to do this death for her, especially knowing that she wasn't a character in the books. She was actually supposed to be a Mm one-off until they fell in love with the actress. And after that one scene, they were like, we got to bring her back. They're like, we got to bring her back again. And then they realized, well, she's going to need to die here. And we can't just have her die, for example, just by the giant pushing her away. That slow motion of her running to the giant, the look on her face, that was amazing. Was this also a foreshadow of Arya's actions later on? It didn't matter that you're small. It didn't matter that you don't look like a warrior like Jon Snow. You can still be incredibly tough and a great fighter and take out a formidable foe using the right skills and the right amount of courage. I have to agree. Again, check out that end of watch episode because they show how they film that. We've said this before. They, whenever they can, like to use real people, real characters, real animals to their detriment. Mm-hmm. That giant is a real actor. And we've talked about that. Ian White, who's seven foot three, I think, mm-hmm. but it was shot in a way that makes him look even bigger. I'm not, it'll take me 20 minutes to explain it. Check it out. It's amazing how they did that scene. Death number three, Beric Dondarrion, the lightning lord, who in this episode died his seventh and final death, saving Arya from being overrun from the whites and fulfilling the Lord of Light's purpose, at least according to Melisandre. So something I did not predict. Well, one thing we did say, now let's be honest, we are going to be correct in a lot of our predictions because we gave a lot of predictions. So <laughs> chances are some of them are going to be right. But we said she'll probably show up last minute. And she actually did. Everyone was already lined up. To save the day a little. We also thought Beric was way past his timestamp and would die in this episode. So I guess something I did not see coming is the Battle of Ice and Fire, in a sense, was her as the fire and the White Walker was ice. So the Lord of Light was very present there, although it didn't do too much in the end. It had a lot of moments. Um, When I talk about the prophecy, that being a person or an object that literally embodies both who has both ice and fire, such as John, who is both a Stark and a Targaryen. We also didn't see our side needing to use any ice properties. It was solely fire up against the evil of ice. So again, kind of like the black and white dichotomy that I thought there would be some gray in the middle. We had also wondered if Beric would metaphorically give up his last life the way that he did in the books with Melisandre being able to use that to save another character. But he actually gives it up in order to save Arya. I thought that was just as good. The fourth death, Theon Greyjoy, who gets a last act of heroism and saves Bran with his death. More than that, the actions of Theon and Bran, probably most likely stalling the Night King long enough for Arya to be able to get in there and kill him. The actions of Bran doing what? Sitting there? Well, who knows? But... Most importantly here, Theon, like I said, I think he had some of the greatest moments of the episode. He finally came back around full circle and fulfilled that redemption. True redemption arc, for sure. And we talked about, would we get a reflection of season one where they're in the woods and he's shooting arrows in order to save Bran's life? We literally see that here. Amazing. After all, Theon Greyjoy, maybe not the best hand-to-hand combat fighter, but with a bow and arrow, he is deadly. Uh, I don't know. I mean, he took out all those whites. Pretty good hand-to-hand now. Mostly with his arrow, though. I mean, that was always his strong skill set. But then at the last moment, he just went ham brawl style. (laughs) I mean, he really got caught up in it. Death number five, Jorah Mormont. Another person who has had a long arc in this story with a shady past, some betrayals to Danny. Always fighting for her, always loving her, being dismissed from her service, getting grayscale. Hmm. 
coming back around to go out probably the way he would always want to, being able to defend her and dying in her arms. One of the more epic deaths, for sure. Beautifully done in the way the dragon consoles both of them. And it's almost like he's sad because oh, he loved yes. Jorah as well. Part of the big reason Drogon was up there. <laughs> Death number six, and maybe the most unexpected, Melisandre. It wasn't unexpected for me because she kept saying, this is it. This is when I die. That's true. But the manner in which it happened... That was unexpected. After the battle is finished, walking out to her death, presumably choosing that because her purpose, just like Beric's, is now fulfilled. She served the Lord of Light and she's ready to go. And for these heroes, now their watch has ended. Because the last and final death doesn't deserve that, I'm talking about the Night King. We'll discuss his death more when we get into our plot. It's worth mentioning, though, the questionable characters we believe they are alive but we didn't get a lingering shot of them at the end of the episode here, showing that for certain. Jamie, Brienne, Sam, Tormund, Gendry, and Pod. I'm pretty sure Tormund died. I'm pretty sure the rest of them lived, but I don't know any of that 100%, so I just put them all on the list. As we said before, related to results and outcomes, characters, other things we want to talk about, there are some things we are aware of only because of the preview for the next episode. We don't want to talk about that here for anyone who's afraid of those kinds of spoilers, so that will all be in the spoiler section in episode two. But I do think we need to bow our heads, at least, to state that we've lost many, many, many Dothraki. Unsullied. Presumably Knights of the Vale. A good amount of Ironborns. All the Ironborn that were there, I believe. Yeah. And a lot of the Northern Allies. Yep, your watch has ended as well. And we have all of your names, starting at one of 3,350,000. Three <laughs> With that all being said, we do have more fun facts we're going to intersperse, but I think it's time. Let's get into our crow's eye view. Starting out with our opening sequence that wasn't too much different. We did still see the tiles flipping over to blue on the way to Winterfell, but we saw more of the battle preparations around the grounds and the Winterfell castle, as well as the lights going out in the crypts. Yeah. Very telling right away. I thought it was really cool that we got to see the trench now built around Winterfell. The amount of work just that went into making those trenches was insane. They first had to dig the trenches, right? Then they set up wooden planks to make it look like an actual trench that would be dangerous that you couldn't just jump over or climb through. Then they had to replace those wooden logs with metal ones, steel, make it look like wood so that they can set it on fire a couple of times. And the wood wouldn't just dissipate. And then they had to test over and over and over again how to get the fire to start on one end and then engulf everywhere else. Insane the Mm. amount of work. As we're going through this episode, remind yourself how you were feeling watching it. And times that by 30 because I'm a wuss. (laughs) And picture how I was doing sitting there on the couch trying to make notes. Especially in those opening sequences we discussed where we start out, the first few minutes of no real talking. There are preparations for battle. People are headed down to the crypts. Tyrion sees Bran being led out to the godswood with the Ironborn. Sansa looks out from the battlements as the dragons fly overhead. And Arya stands by her as the soldiers ride out and line up. As we mentioned, Sam defies those orders and heads to the lines with Ed. The Hound and Gendry push to the front where Brienne and Jamie are waiting. John and Danny step off the dragons on a hilltop with a bird's eye view of the battle formations. The scenery was magnificent. So beautifully done. I wrote in my notes, this is the worst feeling in like 30 exclamation points. The tension 
was unbearable. The looks on these characters' faces just looking out into the dark. And then that great visual scene when John and Danny step off the dragons and we do get to see in a wide expanse everything that was on that war table last yeah. episode, where people are lined up, how this is going to work. We're able to kind of fully take that into our mind. Of course, heightening the sense of anxiety. We know who's going to be near the front. We see a lot of our favorite characters out there. And we're just thinking, this has to end badly. <laughs> the worst of all this, on horseback, Jorah leads the Dothraki, the first line of defense, with Ghost running out beside him. So many Who puts questions. Ghost yeah. on the front line of battle? Why? I said this last episode, put Ghost in the crypts where he can guard them. The women and children and non-fighters down there could have certainly used Ghost's help yeah. more than just charging into an army of whites. Now, dire wolves, don't get me wrong, they're badass. They're huge. They can kill any one of us. But they're a dog. They're a wolf. So what they're best at is attacking one person, getting them down, and chewing at their face, basically. It takes a little time. It takes a little time. If you're dealing with hordes of really fast whites... He's going to get one or two, and that's it. So you're just throwing him out there, especially front of the line. Not for nothing, Jon Snow. When you got a dragon, did you just forget about your dire wolf? <laughs> like, take care of him. I would have kept him inside for sure. There was some battle strategy that overall I just didn't understand, and I knew that our heroes were going to make some mistakes, or there were going to be things that you just couldn't overcome because they were so outnumbered and so overmatched. But sending out this whole front line of some of your best fighters, the Dothraki, to just charge an enemy you can't even see made little sense. We know that a fight's not going to work that way. And then you have reanimated. Why didn't we have more people behind the walls of Winterfell that were told defend itself? More of those defenses we used on the wall in the battle the first time around. More fire! Period. We have one line of trench fire? Yeah, this was right off the bat pissing me off. When you're guarding something, you wait for them to come to you. You don't rush out there, especially if you can't see them. It's you a can't pitch see the numbers. Blackness. You wait, you have them come to you, and then you do those trenches a few times out there. I think if they had multiple lines of trenches where they could set one on fire in the outside, slow them down, and then throw those cannonballs of fire. Shoot some flaming <laughs> arrows. <laughs> By the way, have way more flaming arrows than what you had. And then as the White Walkers get through the first one, excuse me, as the Walkers get through the first one, line of defense, you back up, set the second one on fire, slow them down again. <laughs> Keep throwing things. Some dragon fire. Some dragon fire at forth. the line. Boom, boom, boom. Have three or four of those until they get to the last one. Then you stand your ground. You've dissipated. You've killed most, not, maybe not most of them, but a lot of them at that point. Instead, we're just throwing out more and more weapons, people to die that they can reanimate. It made me think later on when Tyrion says, I should be out there helping them to spot something they might miss, like yeah. I did in the Battle of Blackwater. <laughs> My dude, where yeah. were you at in the battle planning strategy phase? Because surely, even though we're still probably going to be outnumbered, there could have been a better plan. Yeah, I think it made for good TV, especially with the Dothraki racks on fire. Visually, it made it beautiful. It made it more scary. You see all these lights. You can see in the dark now our men running through. And then you can see as they dissipate, you know, they're all dying. It, it was really good TV. But as a battle plan, I wanted to see better. And I'm a web designer. I don't know battle plans, but I can tell you that was wrong. It just didn't make <laughs> sense. Yeah, so as you mentioned, Melisandre comes out before we ship out the majority of our Dothraki. 
She comes wandering in from the side of where the white army was coming from. I don't know how she got in from that direction, but luckily nobody took aim at her. Yeah. We thought this was going to be a lone white walker or somebody coming up on horseback until she reveals herself. She speaks some words. Aexios onyo? Maybe? In High Valyrian, this translates to Lord's Light. It's the same spell that we see Beric using to light his sword of flame, although he doesn't always have to say the words. So this is a real awesome moment when we get to see all of that. We're feeling pretty pumped about it. We see them charging out. But of course, at the same time, we kind of know this is the battle of winter. This is the battle of ice. That fire is probably going out real quick. And in fact, it does. And our hearts sink as we just see all those little lights blinking out, the catapulted flames going out, and Jorah somehow riding back in, having made it through that. Well, he was still horseback, so he was able to get away quickly. That I didn't mind. I was... There was a lot of other people horseback, though. Yeah, but they're not Jorah, you know. <laughs> um, I was happy to see that we were smart enough to keep the dragons out of it until we know what we're fighting. Thank you for that. But that does fall apart. But feels like we said, okay, we're sacrificing all the Dothraki here. I mean, that's a decision we must have made, right? So that's unfortunate. At this site, and we don't know if it's watching the Dothraki charge into their death or Jorah returning in such dire peril or both... Either way, Danny wants to help. Despite John's warning that the Night King is coming and they need to wait here and be smart with their dragons, she hops on Drogon and takes off. So the little bit of plan that they did have is now out the window. Those are her Dothraki. She realized they're all gone. She panics and she forgets her plan. She takes off. Of course, John has to follow to protect. Right away, I thought, well, this is how we're going to lose the dragons mm. because we still don't know what's out there. And you got her going head first, full steam ahead. Into danger. Into danger. Yeah. Be smarter with your dragons. Absolutely. Not only that, it's at that point throughout the darkness that we see the massive undead army just starting to pour out hordes of whites and they start tearing into that front defending line. All you can make out is slaughter. We get a couple of shots of Sam being overcome when Ed saves him and is then killed. Sam turns and runs. Brienne and Jamie desperately trying to hold their ground. And then we move up to the battlements, where seeing this, Arya tells Sansa, it's time for her to go down to the crypts. I thought we were screwed there because we had, this is front line now of what's left as this horde is coming in. Now, even fresh with the Thraki undead, I believe, unless he didn't animate them yet. I'm not sure about that, yeah. But front line, meaning right in the front, is Jamie, is Brienne, Mm -hmm. is Sam, Tormund. Tormund, and in the other group, Grey Worm. Mm-hmm. who we didn't... Front and center, yeah. actually. In our deaths are questionable, we didn't bring him up. I believe he's still alive. Too many people. <laughs> I thought that we got a shot of him later on, which is why I didn't put him on that list, but we can throw him in with that questionable yeah. group. I'm 94% sure he's alive. <laughs> so, but right there, I was like, oh God, that we're dead. Because they come in like bowling balls. Yeah. What are you going to do? Just piles and piles of them. I'm so, freaking out again, man. And so as we said, Arya tells this to Sansa and gives her a dragon glass dagger. Thank you. And the instructions to stick him with the pointy end. I love that. Mm-hmm. When Danny starts flying above, torching whites with dragon fire, John follows her lead. And we think they are making some progress. We see these lines of white just going down. We get that uplifting music. Visually amazing. Just taking lines and lines of these whites out. But again, and I'm going to say this a few times, and don't get me wrong. Again, don't get me wrong. I absolutely love this episode. <laughs> I just, we have to pick on these things. We want them to do better, right? 
Why in the middle with the whites? You should have gotten them. If you're going to bring the dragons out right away, again, we would have this all solved if we had multiple trenches. Yeah. But do the front of the line so that these whites now have to climb over their dead bodies. I think they were so afraid of killing their own people. Okay. And then you don't want to fly to the back because you really can't see anything. Yeah. So that was a tough call. And I really would have liked to see more of this progress. Already from this point, even between Danny torching things, I'm terrified. I think all hope is lost. I didn't get enough of the flaming racks and the dragons back and (laughs) forth before all of a sudden, what we knew was going to be a bad idea, bringing those dragons out, it happens. A wall of icy storm rolls out like fog out of nowhere and envelops them. They literally can't see a thing. A perfect visual representation of you made the wrong move. Mm -hmm. You're flying in blind, literally now. But it was definitely as soon as she climbed on that dragon without knowing what's going on. She was flying in blind already, but now it's literally and figuratively. So I'm glad they brought that in. Um, But the pursuit thereafter, I think, was fanfare. And they didn't really know what to do with the dragons on dragons till the end. It was confused. Um... You know, I don't even know a fanfare because I couldn't see it clearly. So it's not this like um, blockbuster cinematic event where the dragons are fighting dragons. We got a little bit of that, but I didn't know who was who or what was happening. They seemed to just be kind of lost in the storm a lot of the time. This was a thing that we didn't really know the Night King could do. We knew he brought winter worsening with him. Mm -hmm. Um, He doesn't necessarily bring all of winter forever, but it gets worse. So I don't mind cranking that up a notch and making it more difficult. But it was at this point that I pretty much lost Mm. John and Danny until the end, coming to the end later. We'll get to that. But what it did provide is more anxiety because while we're watching these shadows, we're squinting ourselves the whole time. I'm like, they're about to die. They're about to die. Oh my God, it was that. Oh no, that's them. What about, is that one? (laughs) Nope, that's them. Okay. What are they doing though? Where are they going? (laughs) I was freaking out. They're just crashing into each other. I mean, they do. I was like, what the fuck? No, poor John. Understandable. This is like the second time he's ever ridden a dragon. But Danny. Also, what we see is that while it doesn't put out dragon fire, this icy storm dampens all the rest of their fire. Yes. So we just screwed the rest of our army who's trying to fight down there. So again, the lore, ice and fire. This is the main push for the whites. And it's dousing the fire, leaning the playing field more and more towards the ice. Right. And this is why the prophecy was so important, because it built up these ideas within people in the universe, within fans and readers, that you couldn't come at the night and the ice with just fire, right? The two were going to keep battling each other, that it would have to be somebody or something that had both within. Well, how do you fight that? If you're part ice, maybe you can combat that. The Night King himself turned one of the dragons to his favor by making him ice. So I never thought all fire would be the way that we got them. I knew we were going to have a lot of problems. I even knew the foreshadow when Bran brought it up last time and he said, well, we don't really know if dragon fire does it. We've never seen that before. It might not take out the Night King. So this continues to look bad. Brienne finally gives the order to fall back and the soldiers start retreating towards the gates. Lady Lyanna Mormont instructs her men to open and protect the gates as they come through, and Grey Worm orders the Unsullied to protect the retreat from outside of the walls. 
So he's really doing what he thinks is a final sacrifice. The Unsullied will be the ones to stay outside and make sure everyone else can make it back in time, knowing that they're probably not going to get in there. My favorite army, and it's been for a while, the Unsullied. Oh, I was really heartbroken here, and not that it wasn't hard to lose the Dothraki, but after everything that these Unsullied have been through, and finally fighting by choice for somebody that they believe in, for Danny. That's what upset me a lot about last episode when they talked about their plans, him and Masandi, to mm. escape together after the battle was over. As much as I totally understand that from a human perspective, it was a signal to me, do they not really believe there could be a place for them in the future here for a variety of different reasons? No matter what, though, his loyalty and his honor were going to make it such that he would stand to the very end to protect them. And they did. Very poetic as well. They did so well. That line was slowly diminishing, but they were able to sacrifice themselves and keep them at bay long enough for us to mess around and haphazardly have Melisandre slow walk out after several minutes. I was so pissed off. I was like, run, woman. Why are you walking so slow? Run. Well, okay, it's worth mentioning that when most men are inside, Davos is now supposed to give the signal, and he does start waving frantically for John and Danny to light the trench. That was the original plan. Yeah. But of course, they can't see them in the midst of this storm they're caught up in, so they have to come up with a new solution. First, they try lighting them on their own, but they can't. This dampening force is making it such that regular fire won't light it. So as the Unsullied are desperately trying to hold the line, the last of them that are left, that's when Melisandre comes out. And she's struggling. I don't know if her conviction flagged here or she was so terrified. I think her faith was a little shattered at that moment. And she was terrified. You kept seeing she kept losing concentration. Um, Now, I may be wrong here. And to be completely transparent, we're recording this as soon as we got off of work Monday. And we only really had lunch break to do some studying. So we haven't watched it twice Mm -hmm. like we normally do. But I believe that at this time, John and his dragon are on the castle sitting there. It's Danny who's up there. So John's dragon could have just <sighs> not on <laughs> not on the castle. He went over to try go to go back to the Godswood, which was his initial purpose. I have to get back to defend Bran. And I think they did even land in the Godswood for a time. So I don't think he saw Oh, he wasn't looking that this was half the Godswood's like on the side of the castle. Okay. I mean, he knew that they were supposed to be there to light the trench, but I guess he figured Bran could be in real peril. Our first mission was to make sure we're here if the Night King comes. Yeah, let's remind everyone that their plan wasn't to go out there with the dragons at that moment. They were supposed to stay up there and wait to see the Ice Dragon and the Night King fly towards Bran, and then they'd attack him. Mm -hmm. So, okay, now it makes sense. They were all breaking their protocol here. For sure. So finally, Melisandre is able to get this fire ignited. They run back inside of the walls, close the gates as the trench just lights fire. We have a moment of respite. And then they show this shot of the whites come right up to the circle and and stop stop waiting. (laughs) And you just knew that was going to be bad news too. Here we take a quick break from that action though to see what's happening down in the crypts. Sansa goes down where anyone unable to fight has been gathered, they are silently assembled, including Tyrion, Masande, and Varys. Tyrion doing what I would be doing, drinking a whole hell of a lot. <laughs> As we mentioned, he's frustrated that he's not up there to help with the battle strategy, but Sansa forces him to recognize there's nothing he can do. 
except look truth in the face. When he reflects, you know, maybe they should have stayed married. She thinks that while he was the best of them, it wouldn't have worked out due to their divided loyalties. Irritated by Sansa's remark about the Dragon Queen, Masande says if not for Danny, they'd all be dead already. That's very true, which I think was a great counterbalance, considering that the last two episodes, the Game of Thrones has been trying to throw us off tilt on Danny. Yeah, and I think Sansa almost can't quite help herself but to get a little quip in there. And you see Masande's face. She's like, not the time, <laughs> man. She's up there saving our butts right now. And I like that it kind of refocuses things. I do enjoy the interaction that's happening between Sansa and Tyrion. Her finally admitting, because she was pretty sharp with Tyrion last time, that he was a good man. She Mm -hmm. notices that. She respects that. There's a lot of wondering and theorizing, would these two wind up together in the end? I still think that's possible. Well, we can't forget. We have the last battle. And we're going to lose some people. The last war. If they both make it out of here. Either way, though, I'm glad that they had some resolution. Do you think Sansa goes south or does she stay up north? I can't imagine why she would. It would be weird if she stays back when the majority of our other characters go down. But like her and Bran, why are they going to come? Yeah, they have a lot of cleaning up to do. They might stay (laughs) up north. I just wonder how we then finish their story or if we leave them here and that's it. It, There's a lot of open-ended things that we'll get to later on. Do you realize the amount of dead bodies? Like, the next morning you wake up and you're like, oh my god, that was crazy. You look outside, there is just hundreds and thousands of whites that are now no longer animated. And your your beloved people, there's a giant out there, there's a dragon in the middle of the courtyard. How do you clean that up? And John and Danny, who presumably are going to be going off very shortly to tackle this problem in King's Landing, are probably going to take the majority of their army with them. So... With what manpower do they even begin to think about cleaning it up? That was another thing that I wanted to address, though, while we're here in the crypts. Remind me later to talk about Bran and how upset I am at him, and then hopefully how he could redeem himself later on. Next, we check back in in the Godswood, where Theon tries to apologize for his past behavior. But Bran tells him all his actions have brought him here, where he belongs, home. Bran then wargs into a group of crows and watches the Night King approach on Viserion. He is here. I'm going to go now. When he said that, I was like, finally, dude, do something. I actually wrote, Bran, great help so far. Not. I was so, you should see my notes. They're so childish. I'm just like angry. Um, what's the point? He goes with some crows to the Ice Dragon where the Night King like puts his arm out to, I don't know, high five him. But... <laughs> No, then what? No, he he holds up his hands and orders the whites because in oh, the next right. moment the whites begin throwing themselves onto right. the trench fire to snuff it out. I don't know. The problem is they didn't explain or show us exactly what was happening with Bran. He said he was there as bait. Was part of this warging in and trying to attract and draw in the Night King? Was this something he had to participate in actively instead of just sitting there in the godswood? So was he doing more than we knew at this moment to try to lure him in? Or had he seen? We have a lot of questions about can Bran actually see the future? We still don't really know, and perhaps not. We know he can see the past, he can learn from the things that have happened, and he can see what's happening right now. If he did have any inklings of the future, maybe he knew these things had to unfold in this sequence in order to eventually lead to the Night King dying. If that's the case, I don't mind any of it. I just wonder, will it be and will we ever learn that? 
I want to say he did know it was going to happen this way. And my reasons are probably futile because the only thing I'm leaning on is he always went back to that tree. That's the tree the Night King dies under. He gave Arya the dagger under that tree. He had many conversations with everyone under that tree. He always warged under that tree. And the way he says bye to Theon, it's like he already he knew this that was going to happen. Yeah. And he just maybe couldn't tell us. I don't know. Or do anything. It's this whole argument of if you know that's going to happen and you start trying to do things, you might alter it. And this sequence has to play out like this for Arya to get to him. But still, I hate him. I'm so <laughs> pissed at him. I was like, you're doing nothing, dude. Like, I think it would have been amazing, maybe too fantasy. But what if I have to go now and he brings back Ned Stark, but not in like a ghoul kind of body? but in a life kind of body. It's like the real Ned, but he can only be there for that battle. And there's the brother. But he doesn't have that much control. We've seen that he doesn't. If anything, he can put out these small ripples. And even when he does that, he doesn't know how they're going to affect things. The last time he even made a whisper of that, Hodor Hodor died. So I'm sure there's a part of him that thinks he can't do that. Back to the Whites snuffing out the trench fire. They finally clear a path. And they just run through and begin swarming the Winterfell walls. Davos, Jamie, Brienne, Grey Worm, Jorah, all the rest of the fighting men try desperately to hold the wall, but the heroes are being overpowered once again. I thought they had planned for this. I thought they had dragonglass on the wall. I thought they had things that would swing on the wall. Those logs, what were the point of those logs that we it saw? It seemed like they were climbing right over them, and I didn't yeah, understand that. They were that. using it as a climbing tool. <laughs> I was a little confused by that. Of course, in the beginning, they're able to start fighting them off, but then there's just too many. In one area, Arya comes in swinging her staff. Kicking ass. Pulling it apart, going to the short spear when the whites get too close. She's taking a lot of them out until she trips and knocks her head. But I love the little short scene where they show Davos just saw her kick some ass and the look on his face like, holy shit, that was awesome. Yeah, well, and then when she goes down, this is when Beric, when she's fighting, encourages the Hound, you've got to go help her. Act two. Horror. He finally does run off. On the other side, Lyanna Mormont and her men are protecting that gate till the undead giant comes crashing in, knocking people aside. Lyanna runs at him and he plucks her up, slowly crushing her. It looks like the end. Yet with her final act, she stabs him in the eye and kills him. We also get a scene to John and Danny finally flying above the storm. They must have made sense of that's how they can regroup because we see them high above with the clouds underneath and they see a bolt of ice fire coming right at them. They dive and just narrowly escape. I mean, it looks like it's licking Drogon's tail. Yeah. That Danny isn't going to get away from it. But before we see that real fight, we get the Arya scenes. She slips inside where the Winterfell halls are quiet. In the library, she sneaks around the whites that have managed to get in there moving stack by stack and avoiding them through stealth. Creating a distraction, she hides under a table, nearly gets caught, and finally makes her way through the door. However, another small mass comes crashing right through the second door, chasing her. She's overwhelmed and falls, but at this moment, Beric and the Hound find her and help fight them off. Beric shields them, giving them time to get to the Great Hall, but sustains mortal wounds and dies once inside. There they find Melisandre, who reflects that... Now that purpose has been served. I know you. And I know you. 
said we'd meet again. And here we are. At the end of the world. You said I'd shut many eyes forever. You were right about that too. Brown eyes. Green eyes. And blue eyes. This is the moment we started to realize maybe Arya's a little more important than we thought. I knew she was going to take some people out, and I really just thought that's what this is about. The undead have blue eyes. The white walkers have well, blue yeah, eyes. I wasn't insinuating the main blue eyes, but the fact that Beric was meant to have so many lives for this moment alone. Mm-hmm. Melisandre's whole goal was for this moment alone. I didn't realize that. The Lord of the Light was fighting for Arya, you know? I also was thrown off here because her last sentence is, what do we say to the god of death? And Arya says, not today. These were the words that she spoke with Cyril Farrell, mm. her water dancing teacher, back in season one. That got me thinking of a bunch of things, but maybe it was just foreshadowing for the way she's going to kill Well, the I mean, King. all the old theories had to be kicked up momentarily. Was Jockin actually Cyril? Hmm. Now it's Melisandre too, just taking these many different forms, serving the same god, knowing that Arya serves him too. In hindsight, I guess we have to believe just another thing she saw in her flames, Melisandre throwing out tidbits and being cryptic. Or maybe the writers giving a nod to all of us fans that we know about all those theories, but it's not happening. <laughs> now we move to the dragon fight. The Night King swoops down into the fray and starts torching the castle with Viserion, blasting a hole in the walls. Rhaegal and Jon smash into him, fighting in midair, and it seems like Jon is actually getting at him, but then Rhaegal is wounded, causing him to come barreling to the ground. He runs off, and Jon stands watching, as Drogon then strikes Viserion, and the Night King falls from the dragon. I think what happened, that did happen, but I think Drogon came in right at the right time and was the one that knocked off the Night King. And that's when Rhaegal was able to go and land because Drogon was taking care of the rest. We had to rewind that a whole bunch of times because we couldn't see what the hell was going on. That's essentially what I just said. I'm taking this from the HBO breakdown. So I'm just following their arc of things because, yeah, it was hard to see this. But we did see that John and Rhaegal were fighting him at first and it wasn't working. We knew Rhaegal got wounded. We didn't really know how bad. When he ran off, it almost just seemed like he was running to fly away, but you could tell he was hurt. He was having trouble taking off the ground again. This whole time I was thinking we've had a few encounters at this point. And I kept saying, again, poorly planned. You have two dragons. He has one. Flank him. Stop doing one-on-one battles. Mm -hmm. As one is being approached, starting the physical fight, the other should be right there to flank from the side and take out the ice dragon. And of course, Drogon is stronger. So yeah, his bump is going to do more. We're excited for a second, but we see the Night King can't be hurt. He falls all the way to the ground and stands back up. Then we think we're going to get another moment. Danny directs a huge blast of dragon fire at him. It's awesome. This is the longest I think we've ever seen Drogon blow fire. But as the flames clear, the guy still walks out unharmed. Not a scratch. With a smile. On him. First time we see an actual smile. Mm-hmm. He even tries to throw a spear at Danny, making I was us so pissed. all hold our breath. 
until she takes off avoiding it. And now, on the ground, John moves in with his sword, ready to take on the Night King single-handedly. I thought John was closer. I thought this would be the point. While the Night King was looking at Danny and he was about to throw the spear, I thought John was right there, mm-hmm. and that's when he was going to get him. It really seemed like this was going to be the showdown. But of course, the Night King slowly raises his arm, and John watches in horror as the newly dead begin to reanimate. He tries to start running. I mean, he books it thinking he's going to make it past. But you see arms twitching and bodies rising, and eventually they just completely encircle him. At this point, I was getting so pissed off. Do you remember what I was yelling? I was calling the Night King uh, names that we can't (laughs) say on the podcast. Yes. But basically I was saying... Cheap move. Cheap move. One-on-one, stop being a bitch. (laughs) Let's Let's get down. Don't bring all your little dudes into this. Let's do it. Come He's on. not even bringing his White Walkers into it. Reanimating the dead is cheap. And honestly, this is my first moment that I could sink in with the true peril. A combination of being able to see what's actually happening, focusing in long enough on one character, mm. revealing the danger to me that the circle gets closer and closer and nobody's there to help. And so I really feared for John's life at that point. And everything you've just done tonight, it's been hours and hours of hell. Well, now I'm going to reanimate your friends. Good luck. And Viserion's here blasting ice fire at your castle walls. Well, at this point, I thought maybe he was dead. We were hoping. Yeah. We hadn't seen him in a minute. John is desperately fighting off the group. Seems like he won't be able to do it when Danny rides in, sending a blast of fire, torching the immediate circle of whites and freeing John, who then moves inside to continue the fight. However, having actually landed on the ground to help, oh, so why... Why did Drogon land on the ground? Maybe he's tired. More whites start mounting him, climbing on top of him. He's shaking. Danny falls off. The dragon eventually takes off into the air, trying to shake the dead free from his body. Unfortunately, they're landing and reanimating, leaving Danny stranded now. Every moment, with everything with these dragons, I was like, oh, this is when they die. Oh, no. Okay, this is when they die. Oh, he landed. They're going to get him. Oh, this is, damn it. Now there's a. And all the characters we just saved. (laughs) John, and now Danny's the one in trouble. I wasn't even worried about Danny. I didn't care. (laughs) The dragons. I was. (laughs) Unexpectedly, though, the hero who never dies, Jorah, runs in to defend her. I'm like, I can't believe this guy's still alive. Very epic moment. Here we cut for another shot of the crypts where the group can hear banging on the door and shouts to let them in. But soon after, the screaming starts to fade and returns to silence. This is when we're really getting worried for everyone upstairs, because why can't we hear them anymore? And even worse, the vaults begin opening and the dead climb out. People are running and screaming. Tyrion and Sansa huddle behind a statue ready for the end. They take hold of their daggers, he kisses her hand, and they step out. So at this moment, I was like, well, ourselves and our Clatchers were right, and a lot of the world. They don't matter, it's our Clatchers who matter. (laughs) The crypts were the worst place. That's where the dead are living. A few things about that. I thought there could have been more of a payoff, but the further I thought into it, I was like, well, maybe they're not even there. So if we could see Ned reanimated, that would have a lot of meaning, but he would be headless. Um, If the body's even there, did they bring it back up from King's Landing? They did, but his bones were boiled. Okay. Which means there really is nothing Even his bones aren't assembled into a skeleton. You could wonder at a skeleton of Lyanna, but nobody's down there to even really recognize her. 
the one person we had thought about was we know that John had Rickon's body moved down there, and it wasn't that long ago that he died. I did think the crypts were going to have some more meaning. It didn't wind up really being anything more than a place for people to hide and also be attacked. It was kind of curious because it's been foreshadowed for so long, even on the show, the level of importance to the Starks and the storyline that this place has. Mm. So to not have any of those factors, and also on top of that, not just down there, but up in the battle, we didn't see anybody that we had formerly loved returning as white to haunt us. Yeah. I thought that was a strange move to not employ. We thought we would probably see Hodor. How horrible would it be to have to kill him? One of our friends would fall in battle and get reanimated. They mm. would have to kill him. Yeah. Even the giant we saw, I don't think was one one who we loved and lost. I don't know. So it was an odd opportunity missed for some real emotional resonance to not bring back any of the known characters. Where were the uh, Willy Mammoths? We knew we weren't getting the spiders from the book, but we've seen those mammoths mm-hmm. north of the wall, so we thought we'd see them. A lot of things reanimated. Yeah, that, that would have been nice. Uh, even down here in the crypts, I didn't actually see, it again, maybe the darkness, any of the creatures coming at them. It was just kind of like, blurred dark shapes and people running around uh we did see some moments it was very quick they did take a lot of care with these walkers they made them look different they made them more dry and dusty and gray Mm -hmm. but i think again it was too fast to to really realize this moment when sansa pulls out the dagger i actually thought for a moment that this is when they kill themselves Mm, me too i thought they were looking at each other like let's do it Let's put it in our own it's hands. the end. Yeah. And then I thought, if not that, they're getting ready to fight. They know that neither one of them is a good fighter, but what's left? They're the best chance right now at survival. And nothing really happened with that. Maybe they did fight. I don't know. We didn't see it. By the time we go back to them, everyone's dead. Mm. So it was bizarrely cut away from. It was a nice moment between her and Tyrion. But we have to keep in mind the people down there that really had no place in this war are going to be very important in this next war, the last war that we're about to have. Um, That's where we put all the schemers. Varys, who was just, you saw him in the corner looking helpless. He'll be important, Tyrion. So we'll see them back into play. And those above are fighting even more enemies now that the newly dead are risen. All hope really seems lost. Danny takes up a sword, doing her dire best to help Jorah in the fight keeping them back. Dire. He's really doing 90% of the work, but she's trying to help. Viserion lands on the battlements of the castle, blowing ice fire. Jon's path to the godswood is now blocked, and seeing little choice, he makes a dash to retrieve his dropped sword, only narrowly avoiding the flame. Those shots of that dragon looked so cool. You could see that his face is half bitten off, so his icy flames are coming out of the side of his face and his neck. It's he's insane. wounded. He's like stutter stepping up the walls. Yeah. And then in the godswood, Theon is, as we said, valiantly taking them down, consumed by the brawl until he realizes he's the last man standing. The remaining whites stop. They part, make an opening in the circle, and the Night King moves in with his lead white walker standing behind him. In a knowing way... Bran turns and says, Theon. You're a good man. Thank you. Then Theon charges at the Night King to his death. 
beautiful moment. Again, the, the redemption arc for Theon was, was beautiful. We have to remember where he came from. He was just one of the brothers. Then he's a nobody in where he finds out he's home is. He wasn't even one of the brothers. He always considered himself a prince of Winterfell, but felt that he wasn't a Stark. He was being held ransom, essentially, to keep his family, the Greyjoys, in order, and he never forgot that, no matter how well the Starks treated him. He always had a chip on his shoulder and something to prove. Then he went back thinking, I'm going to show I'm an Ironborn. He wasn't accepted there either. We mentioned last time we were having a little difficulty with the emotional reunion between him and Sansa despite everything he had done for her. It was hard to forget the fact that he ruined the Starks, ruined Winterfell, allowed Ramsay to take over, killed people. Thought he killed Bran. He surely suffered a lot, but I think it was more impactful that he had this last final moment where we can say he did it. He fully redeemed himself. He's fully a Stark. And he goes out in the most honorable way possible. Yeah, we can't forget that after Ramsay totally just takes all of his manliness, literally and figuratively, out of him. All he his can't humanity. fight. He wouldn't look anybody in the eyes. Then he finally starts getting better. He and was, the chance he was last broken. season. Yeah, he was broken. Then and we thought he was getting fixed. The last chance he had last season, when his sister was being taken by his uncle, he doesn't do anything. And then we see this season he really comes back. Well, in his conversation with John, and John told him you can be both a Greyjoy and a Stark, his final two acts were to save his sister, a Greyjoy, mm-hmm. to go back to their home and then to come here and save the Starks. Obviously, Theon knows this is his death. He is taken out by the Night King's spear. This is where the music starts to come to a crescendo as the Night King walks over and just stares down at Bran. Bran finally turns to look at him as the Night King is reaching for his sword. When out of the corner, someone comes hurtling through the air, and we see it's Arya. The Night King grabs her by the neck to block the attack, and she drops the dagger out of one hand, only for it to fall to the other hand, grabbing it and plunging it directly into his chest. In the exact spot that he was stabbed by the Children of the Forest to become the Night King, the exact same spot. It's pretty amazing. And that move, she learned that move from someone special. Well, as we said, we're not going to get to Clatcher's comments here, but there were a lot of corrections that we had made a mistake yet again in our last podcast talking about what could kill whites and white walkers. Sometimes we have difficulty keeping the book canon out of our heads, but it was a good correction that on the TV show, Dragonglass could kill whites and white walkers. We had wondered for a long time, what is the point of the Valyrian steel blades then? The sword still held a lot of importance, even in the TV show. They showed us several times that there were only five blades of Valyrian steel left. And so we had often speculated, well, it must be the Night King himself who's different. Maybe Dragonglass can't kill him. Maybe Dragonfire can't kill him. Everything that kills everyone else. And it does seem that that's true, or at least not proved incorrect. It takes the Valyrian steel dagger to finally take him out. So I like that that did pay off, despite my reservations about the prophecies remaining a little up in the air and unfulfilled. And at this moment, when she stabs him with it, the Night King shatters, causing all of the rest of the White Walkers to go down. Inside the walls, Viserion collapses, and then all of the undead fall. The war is won. Right before, presumably, John was about to die to the ice dragon. Many people. (laughs) For sure. There's a few things. I thought the entrance of the Night King and his White Walkers behind him was very rock and roll. It was awesome (laughs) as they walked in, nice and slow, taking their time. Everything is basically won. 
An issue I did have is I would have liked to see his White Walkers do something mm. besides just show up in the end. I want to see how badass they are. I want to see them fight. And they fought in previous battles. And yeah. like we said, we thought... We got one, too. There was something different about them, obviously, than the Night King and the reanimated dead. They're we, the babies. We know that. Those babies that are brought back. But there were many, many, in fact, 100 or 99 of Craster's children mm. brought back as sacrifices. From what we see, we started out the show Maybe with 30. 13 or 14 ancillary white walkers and much less than that by this point because we have killed a few but they too were performing rituals and doing things that made them seem like a serving class a priestly class something else again there's just so much that we don't know about the way they functioned and what was going on with them hopefully brand does like you said hopefully he does bring some light to it in these coming episodes we move to these final scenes though after the war is won Realizing that all the enemies are defeated, Jorah succumbs to his wounds. Danny holding him as he dies, and a mournful Drogon lands, laying down behind them and enveloping them in oh, his wings. Beautiful. Gorgeous shot. He even brings his head towards the ground. Uh-huh. The Hound and Davos watch as Melisandre walks off onto the battlegrounds, removing her necklace and turning back into an old woman, falling to the ground and dying. It's time for her to go. I think she was done. She's been around forever. Like we said before, it's exactly what she said to Arya and the Hound about Beric. He's served the Lord of Light's purpose. She's been here a long time serving the Lord of Light's purpose, and her job's done. So we had a lot of varying thoughts about this episode. Obviously, it leaves us with so many questions about where does the latter half of this season go? Will we get answers to some of those things? What's going to happen in King's Landing? What is the real end game? How many of the remaining heroes will survive out of that? But we will continue the conversation and speculation in our next episode. Even splitting it in two, I thought this would be a shorter episode. It obviously isn't, <laughs> looking at this timestamp. And I still feel like I forgot to say things, and you forgot to say things. There were so many details that we could have brought into this podcast because this episode was that well done. And I truly, truly had an experience that I'll never have again. And I did enjoy this episode, despite some of the setbacks that we have displayed in this podcast. But... We do have to give a Raven rating. So, Christina, I'll let you go first. The message has flown and the ratings are in. What do you give this episode? Well, this is a tough one for me because I do have so many conflicting opinions. I would like to give tens to everything I loved about the episode and sevens to everything I kind of disliked about the episode. I do think I'm falling somewhere in between the Rotten Tomatoes and IMDb. So I'm going to give it an 8.9 Ravens. Whoa, you've gone lower than the other episodes. Only slightly. I was at a 9 for episode 1 and a 9-2 for episode 2. So I'm just a drop below <laughs> the first two. I want to watch it again, this time with more of a analytical eye as opposed to emotional because <laughs> I was just so wrecked watching it the first time. I think now I can watch it and instead of being scared who's going to die, I can actually... But before doing that, I'm going to just go with my emotions. Just looking back, remembering how I was feeling. I'm going to forget for this time... The little things that bothered me, I can't forget the fact that the Night King I thought would have much more of a meaning, a background, more of a reason why he was doing this. But besides that, let me just get it out because I I need to shut up at this point. I'm going 9.4 Ravens. And Christina's shaking her head. I'm too easy. I Listen, I love this show and... My emotions were certainly way heightened right after the episode ended. While I was watching, I was having times where I was thrilled 
But then seconds later, I would go, wait a second, does that make sense? What mm-hmm. just happened here? And then I'd be yelling at the TV screen. This is insane. I have had a little time to cool down. And maybe my score has even gone up for that because my emotions have passed a bit. Retrospectively, when I look back at the whole season, I think my feeling is going to be different. Does the rest of where they're going make sense? Does this fit in with that? Will some of that stuff continue to pay off? That's really hard to say right now when we're in the thick of it. But certainly I look forward to seeing what they have to do with the last three episodes. So we're not done talking about this episode. We're going to have a whole nother podcast coming at you later this week. We wanted to once again thank our Clatchers for being with us for this ride and remind you that if you really love what the CKC is doing and you love the passion that we provide for TV and movies, there's plenty of more content out there for you that we cover. We have our other shows, Mr. Robot, Westworld. Just go to coffeeclatchcrew.com, check out those channels. And if that's not enough, you want even more fun and you want to help Christine and myself out with the cost of bandwidth. We actually, Christina, we went through six terabytes of bandwidth this month alone. Oh dear. It's it's crazy. It's going to cost us a lot. Join us on Patreon. Go to coffeeclatchcrew.com, click on Patreon, join us at any tier. For $3 a month, you get a Coffee Break episode where it's very Clatcher-oriented. It's very interactive. It's a lot of fun. We give you the word of the month, an interactive question of the month, uh, mini reviews of TV shows and movies that we're watching, and so much more. Then you can go up in tiers, get our bonus, and then our movie review. There's so much content out there for you. We have well over three days worth of content available to you when you join. And I do have to point out, if you are interested in Patreon, we appreciate your support from the bottom of our heart at any level. My advice though, $1 is fantastic to support us. And if that's what you can afford, I totally understand that. But for $2 more a month, you actually get content. You get another podcast from the CKC. So if it's the content you're looking for, I would start at the $3 tier. But then, of course, if you want to support CKC in other ways without being a full-time Patreon member, there are one-time donations. There are the iTunes rate and reviews that we see rolling in. It is truly amazing the amount of positive support you guys have been giving us and just spreading the word to your friends, your family, anybody who might want to tune in and listen about their favorite shows. Also, don't forget about Amazon. All it takes is one extra click to go to our website first and click on that button. It will take you right to the Amazon site where you can do your regular shopping. Doesn't change a thing. It just means that Amazon gives us a small kickback from that percentage of whatever shopping you do there. So this just about wraps it up for this podcast. But again, we're coming back at you later this week. The Clatcher poll is still open on Twitter. So follow us at CKC Podcast and tell us what you thought. The MVB options this week is Arya, Theon, Jorah, and Drogon. Vote on the poll and tell us your thoughts in the comments section. I'm loving this. Just as we were podcasting, we now have 52 more notifications. Game of Thrones is amazing. (laughs) This is amazing. Yeah, we'll also have our closer look and our spoiler section for a sneak peek. We didn't forget about that. All of it coming at you soon. Till next time, this round's on me. This round is on me. Just when you think that Jon Snow is going to be the hero again, we realise that Arya peers through the mist. I mean, you're like, oh, maybe I'll get him. I'm not going to get him. And then you're reading, you're like, oh, maybe Jon's going to get him. Wait, he's not going to. And I remember actually being like, whoa.
and kind of applauding in my head and then being like, yeah. And then in the read through when like, when Maisie was doing it and we were all just like whooping and cheering. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. I think Maisie thought it was super cool. Like she was like, yeah, I can kill him. Um, Kit was really fine with it. I was pissed. I was pissed that it wasn't me killing the Night King. I could have, I, I would have, I would have given you like, I'd have bet you thousands before we read the finals. I was like, yeah, it's definitely me. And then they lead you on that John's chasing the Night King.